0: there for you today? And it was freezing, wasn't it? But uh, glad you're here. Glad you, uh, you came to be a part of this today. We're doing this little three-week mini-series uh, called Christ the Savior is Born. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. Kind of let you guys know last week uh, that we're going through, every year we go through a confirmation and affirmation process with our leaders. And so we affirm current leaders and we, uh, uh, we confirm new leaders. Our current leaders that you may, uh, you may know, we've talked about this, this is all on our website. Uh, some of them serving seven years, five years, uh, three years, just where they are there. But every year we go through a confirmation process. Uh, we have three new leaders uh, that we're hoping to, to come on board. Um, and you know them here, Monty Salter, Matt Barker, and uh, Emily Bell. Now what we're going to do, we told you this last week, today uh, there is a survey on SurveyMonkey. And you are going to get a text. 12 o'clock today, and if you're not on our texting app, you'll probably get an email in the next 24 hours, and you will have an opportunity to uh, affirm and confirm uh, this process. Also, a couple of other little questions on there. If you'd like to write us some bad reviews and say some naughty things, absolutely bring it on. We'll just disregard those surveys. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But but no, there, there are some places. We've got some other questions about church and whatnot, and this is a great place for you to do that. So if you want to do it, you know you can use your camera on your phones and you can do it. It'll be on at the end of the service as well. Uh, but you will get a text, and if not a text, an email um, that should give you all that information. We are asking that every individual in the household, so every adult, not just one per household, um, because we know how much couples really agree uh, in the world. Um, but we want every adult, every adult that's, that's here that gets that text or whatnot, go ahead and take the survey and just uh, just share that share that with us i also want to let you know and we'll tell you this ahead of time as well december 26th we're doing an online only service Brad's going to tell you a bit about what that's going to look like maybe at the end of the service um, but we'll make sure that we remind you uh, beforehand because apparently um you're grown adults who can't keep track of your own schedules and uh, nobody knows you know wh- people always go we, we weren't communicated with yes we we told you you just didn't pay attention because you were not listening at church as you should have been. And Jesus is watching, so uh, be careful. Uh, Today we're talking about Christ the Savior is born. And there's three concepts here, and I talked a little bit about this last week. There there are these three concepts in this, uh, these are words of, of a song, words of Silent Night that somebody wrote years later. And one of the things that I started talking about last week is that these three concepts are somewhat in conflict with each other. At least, That they are when they started in their origin. Last week we talked about the first part of this, talked about Christ. And I talked about the difference between Jesus and Jesus Christ. And there is a difference. Christ is not his last name. Uh, It's not just something that's added on. It actually is his role and his purpose. I was just chatting to somebody out there and I said, you know, uh, uh, what does that mean? I said, well, your name's Brad. You know, the firefighter, that's not your last name. Firefighter is not your last name. That's the role that you fulfill. Um, and I think sometimes we confuse those things. The reality is this. When your kids come back, you ask them, do they love, who do they love? They'll say, I love Jesus. And we want them to say that. But as you grow in your faith, there's a difference just between loving the person Jesus and accepting the role of his life. Th- there's, a, there's a point in our lives when we accept Jesus as christ and that's different than just loving a person or learning the stories and we talked about it really means that he is god and there's a point in our lives where we see jesus as a good person and then there's a point where we see him as god and what he does as god changes our lives but the second part of these three little little things is the word savior that jesus is the savior that christ becomes the savior Now, I want to tell you something today that might might sound a little odd to you, but it's important for us to know so that we can fully understand what this really means. The word Savior, or the idea of being saved, doesn't initially mean saving from sin. I know when we talk about that and say everybody needs a Savior, we always do that in the context of we are sinful people and we need someone to save us. But if Jesus was the Savior, that didn't mean from sin to the initial audience. Look, the name of Jesus means deliverer or salvation. It's the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. And so it's really convenient after the death of Moses that Joshua becomes the next leader and his name happens to be deliverer or salvation. They like this name. But Jesus' name literally means, I'm sure you've done that on Google, what is my name actually mean, and it'll tell you what your name means. There's some origin to this, and the origin of the name of Jesus is about being the deliverer or being salvation. However, when people looked at Jesus, they thought about many of the biblical characters. They thought about Moses and David and Joshua. These were the people that were salvation to the Jewish nation, to the Israelites. And, and as these things are playing in their head, if they're going to accept that somebody is the Savior, there's certain things that they expect the Savior to do. The Savior's role is to reenact freedom from slavery like the story of Moses and the Israelites. Remember the, Egyptian, remember the story of Joseph, end of the book of Genesis, Joseph and his family are in Egypt. And Exodus chapter 1, there's a new Pharaoh who enslaves the Israelite people. For 400 years, they are slaves. They cry out to God, we need somebody to deliver us. And then the story of Moses comes to life. Moses, who lives the first 40 years of his life in Egypt as an Egyptian, finds out his true, I- true identity. There's an unfortunate incident with another Egyptian that he ends up killing. He flees to Midian, lives there for 40 years, gets married, has kids, does all the things you're supposed to do. And then at 80 years old, he has the experience of the burning bush. And God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. You are going to deliver my people. I love part of that story because I don't ever think we think about Moses as being 80 years old when God calls him to go and be the deliverer. We always think he's like, you know, 28. He's 80 years old when God says, you're going to go back. And you're going to free my people from slavery. So when you talk about slavery and when you talk about about deliverer or salvation, somebody saving you, people think about slavery like under Moses and Moses leading people out. The Savior's role is also to reenact kingship after oppression. You remember, this is like David. David was undoubtedly the greatest king of Israel. Yes, he made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of bad things as well. But one of the things that he did better than any other king was make sure that Israel, Israel was protected against her enemies. Remember, there were a lot, of, a lot of these surrounding nations that would oppress Israel. And when David becomes king, he ends that. And so when people talk about the one who is coming, the Messiah the Messiah is going to be, yes, David had his fault, so this will be even better than David. But David is going to destroy everybody around us. And at the time that Jesus is born in the first century, in the Roman first century, the, Romans, uh, the Israelites are under Roman oppression, just like they were under Egyptian oppression when they were slaves in Egypt. And so they think when the king comes, He's going to basically just destroy the Romans and sit on the throne in Jerusalem. That's why they get confused about what the Savior's role actually is. The Savior's role is to enact the kingship, to bring it back. The Savior's role is also to, to reenact repatriation of the land and ultimately of the temple, the presence of God. And this is like Joshua. The people have wandered in the desert for 40 years. Joshua is the one. It takes them into the promised land and says, here's the land. And ultimately, they built the temple, which is under David. And all these, oh well actually past David, but, but you get the idea. And so they think, this is why at the end of the story, which we'll talk about in a minute, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they think this is it. He's going to save us from the Romans. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to be the king. This is going to be the promised land again. And then when none of those things happen kind of their whole thinking sort of falls apart. They know that the only way this can be done, it can only be done through a saving Messiah king or by God himself. Now, we talked last week about Jesus being the Christ, which is a profession that he is God. And a lot of these other characters, David, Moses, Joshua, they had two two of these three characteristics. No one ever had all three. That's why Jesus being the salvation or deliverer is so powerful but also so hard for people to see because their expectation of salvation is different than ours. The Jews are all about slavery and freedom. The Jews are always all about being lost in the desert and then getting their own land and having a kingdom. The, the Jews are all about being the abused or the oppressed people that now have a king. The Jews are all about suffering that they've experienced that the Savior will bring healing, a miraculous healing at that. And Jesus will become the Savior, but not in the way that you think, not in the way that they think. Jesus will bring freedom, but it's freedom from sin, not physical slavery. Jesus is not going to give them back the city of Jerusalem, although that's what they think it is. God is doing something far greater. Jesus will bring healing, but it's from spiritual death, not from physical death. And they miss that. Jesus will give them the land, but the land is in heaven, not on earth. This is why when they're teaching Jesus, when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, because they ask him to teach them. Remember that line in the Lord's Prayer in in, in, in Matthew chapter 6? where he talks about this, Jesus is going to bring the kingdom, but it's going to be an eternal kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. But they miss that, because he prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they're thinking, yeah, bring it on. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is praying for kingdom. Jesus is going to do on earth what's done in heaven, but they miss it. Because the kingdom is different than what they think it's going to be. If you read text, if you just go and look up the word kingdom even in in the back of your Bible in a concordance or even on Google or something like that, it'll give you a lot of language that Jesus used. Jesus reintroduces the language of kingdom. The Romans are very good at empire, but what the Jews want is they want kingdom back. And so when Jesus even preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then later, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are on board with Jesus. This is the guy we've been waiting for. We need him to save us. We want kingdom. We even have a story in Mark chapter 10 of James and John, you know, two disciples that are close to Jesus. They ask Jesus. Well, actually, they don't ask Jesus. They con their mom into asking Jesus. It's a great story. I mean, don't you just love that, hey, mom, hint, hint, wink, wink, why don't you ask Jesus? He's probably not going to say no to you. And she goes to Jesus and she says, hey, i got a request. Jesus says, what is it? He says, you know, when, you come, when you're in your kingdom, when you're coming into your kingdom, let my boys sit on, on your right and on your left. Jesus says, these places are reserved for other people. Are you ready to face what I'm about to face? Are you ready, the languages, are you ready to be immersed or baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized? Are you ready to face the whirlwind of what's about to happen? They think they are. Ironically, there are stories of two people on the right and left of Jesus. But they happen to be criminals while Jesus is hanging on the cross. And so it's only by God's saving grace that Jesus doesn't honor this request. Because if he had said, yes, you can be on my right and on my left when I come into my kingdom, they would have been hanging on the crosses next to him. Because they didn't really know what they were asking for because they misunderstood kingdom. There's some grace in that as well in a beautiful way. For the Jews, there are some defining concepts of what it means when the Messiah comes. And those things have to do with freedom, freedom and healing and land and kingdom, but not in the way that they think. You know, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem at the end of the story, when he's about to go to the cross, he's about a week away from being crucified. And nobody knows it yet except him. It says, the crowds gather, this is Matthew 21, and when he comes into Jerusalem, they they shout, Hosanna son of David. They think it's about to happen. He's about to sit on the throne. He's about to, you know, the earth's about to open up and swallow up all the Romans, all those that have oppressed us, those that have taken our land. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, they shout. They think it's about to happen. But what they do not yet realize is what Jesus is going to save them from. They don't get it. Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible says he has come to try to find people that he can save but it's not physical in the way that people think it might be. This is why in Luke 19 when we have the story of Zacchaeus people are very upset the religious leaders are upset that Jesus has chosen to go to the sinner's house and Zacchaeus gets up and he says look here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, blah, 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 blah. And then Jesus responds with this statement. He says, today salvation has come to this house, and this person is also a child of Abraham. The reality is, they don't understand that, because why is Jesus wasting his time with these sinners when he's got a kingdom to establish? They still don't see it. We're waiting for you to be the deliverer, Jesus. We're waiting for you to save us. And Jesus says, I am. You just don't want to see it It's always ironic who knows what's really happening in the story. If you read the Gospel of Mark, the demons always know who Jesus is, but his disciples never do. It's a great irony. Every time Jesus encounters a demon-possessed person, he asks them who he is, and they get it right every single time. He asks the disciples... Who do you think I am? And they're like, "Well, I don't know. Maybe you're like, uh, you're kind of a cool guy. <laughs> we like you." They don't. They never know. One of the greatest professions of who Jesus is happens by the guy that's on the cross next to him. In Luke twenty-three, it says he looks at Jesus after they they spit at him and mocked him, and the other the other thief is also the other criminals also making fun of Jesus, and he says. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because he knows what's happening. Nobody else does. That's why sometimes I think we confuse when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He's saying to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They miss it. Because they're still tied to this idea that the Savior will give them back everything that they've lost if you go back and you read the story of Jesus, the Savior's role is to redeem the lost relationship between God and His people. It's not about land. It's not about a fancy crown. It's not about that they're not enslaved because after the death of Jesus, they're still under Roman rule for hundreds of years. That's why I think it's hard for some people to accept that Jesus is who He said He was his perception is, he hasn't done what I think he should have done. Don't you ever find that's true of your faith? You pray about something and God does something, but it's not what you thought he would do? Or you ask him, God, I really want you to do this. And he kind of answers it, but it's not what you asked for. That happens all the time. And part of it is, not him, it's us. Sometimes we don't want to open our eyes. Sometimes we don't want to see God for who he really is. I know that's true for me. I, I want God to do what I think he should do, right? Sometimes he does something completely different over here. I heard something this last week. I was just, um, um, I was on my TikTok channel. Um, was, that is not of the Lord, okay? Um, but there was something that I was, Kind of watching, and it was a story about somebody who had gone through something, was going through something really awful in their life. and They were battling an illness. I think they were battling cancer, and it was really, it, it was really nothing more that could be done. And they had a very positive disposition. And they were talking to some people, and they, it was just kind of a, it, it was, it was, it was recorded, but it wasn't a staged event. You know what I mean? And this person had a good disposition. And I remember somebody said, "How is it that all these terrible things can be happening in your life, but you still have this?" Sunny disposition and this positivity about you. And her response was powerful. She said, You can't wait until life is good to be happy. And isn't that such a conviction against where we are in our lives? Or maybe even where we are in our faith. You know, God, I'll really give more of myself to you when I get a few of these things figured out. Or, or, or when when I see you the way that you that I want you to be, then I'll accept. this this story that you're telling me. We spend our whole lives waiting for something that God is offering because he's not doing it the way that we think he should. I I find that true of myself all the time. The things in faith that that I need, that I want most, or that I think I want most, God is giving me, but I'm looking over here because that's where I think it should take place, and God's doing it over here. When we talk about Jesus being the Savior, he saves us from the only thing that matters. But we're the ones that miss it. Why are you not doing this, God? Why are you not doing that? Because he says, because you don't understand what it means for me to be the Savior. It's not about fixing this. It's about giving you the thing that you need the most, which is freedom of sin. God will will give you a land that he has promised in heaven. He will save you. He will release you from whatever you're struggling with on this earth. You just have to wait a little while. It's kind of funny because when we accept that, Jesus will become the Savior. Because he saves us from the thing that we need him to save us from the most. Or maybe the thing that we don't even know we need saving from yet. There's something beautiful and powerful about that. Father, today. Thank you just for leading us in this moment, in this time. Uh, thank you for just reiterating to our hearts your role and your purpose in this place. And Father, I just pray today that as we, as we slowly start to unpack who you are and what that means to us and how that changes our lives, God, would you help us to see you with new eyes? Father, thank you that you listen to all of our prayers even though some of them are ridiculous. Thank you that you meet us in grace. Thank you that you reveal the kingdom to us, even though we're not ready to see it. Thank you that you save us from the thing that we need saving from, but we don't even always know it. Thank you for walking faithfully with us through all things. God, at at this time of year, as we focus naturally on you making your way into the world, may we see you with fresh eyes. May we not just see the prepackaged Jesus that we've always believed in. May we see you for who you are and what you have done. And God, above all, we thank you for saving us, and we ask you to save us still. We just pour out your love on our ignorance. As we sing these words, that no matter what's going on in our world,